Well, we're going to take a break this morning from our look in our series in Genesis. If you're visiting, we've been going kind of like topic by topic and and thought by thought through the book of Genesis. And I know that's a daunting task. And we've been spending a lot of time so far, not even get through Genesis chapter 2. But um, it's going to go a little quicker as we go into it further. But um, today we're going to take a break from that. And we're going to talk about something that I really feel the Lord wanted me to share today. Uh, specifically for the graduates. And the rest of you say, oh, well, what about me? I believe this applies to all of us. I really do. It's a very clear biblical message for all of us. And uh, so I want you to, um, especially graduates, I want you to kind of plug in this morning. I want you to really hear because I think God has something that he wants to say to all of us, but especially you who have graduated from some level. And uh, high school, college, even you, you know, eighth graders and coming out of grade school. Uh, we're all graduating. Maybe you're a new milestone in your, in your career. We're all at times of, of getting accomplishment and then going forward. So I want you to, uh, to, to address that today. See, because a graduation is a milestone. A graduation um, is a time that we come together like we did today and we celebrate. And some of you had graduation parties. Some of you are going to have graduation parties. Um, and if you're not having a party, at least you're celebrating, hey, I'm finally done. I'll never forget the day, I probably, maybe I've told you this, the day I got, had my last class at Central Bible College. It was abnormal psychology. I walked out of the last class. I was done. Four years of school, three different colleges. My first college shut down. I went one year and it shut down. And so I had to leave. And, and so then I went to University of Wisconsin for a year. Then I went to Central Bible College for two years. I got done with the last class. I walked out the door. Have I ever told you the story? I walked out the door and I said to somebody walking by, I said, I'm done. And they looked at me. This is, they're godly. This is a future pastor. He said, shut up. I got a test to go to. You know? And uh, I'm like, no, you don't get it. I graduated. I'm done. College is over. Three colleges, four years, three different states. I'm done. And uh, no one cared, you know. But, uh, and I came home, and I would have been married for two years by that time, and Suzanne was at work. I run in the house, and, and, and I'm like, oh, she's not even there, you know. So I went, we lived in a mobile home. I went in this empty mobile home, and I'm like, this is the most anticlimactic thing of my entire life. I did all this work, paid all this money, and no one here to say, oh, you're great, you know. And so, uh, so anyways... It is a time to celebrate. We had a celebration after that, didn't we? We had parties and all that stuff and ceremonies, and that's great. So it's a time to celebrate, but it's also a time to evaluate. It's a time that we look, look um, forward in our lives and look at our future and say, what's in it for me? You know, not as far as what's in it that I'm going to gain, but what's God want for my future? What choices will I make now that will guide me into my future? Because understand, what your future looks like then is determined by what you do today. And so what am I going to do today that's going to affect my future tomorrow? And the, and the educational and the occupational choices that you make and that we all make are as varied as our appearances. When these folks came up this morning, you saw they all looked somewhat different. And that's on purpose. God made us different by design, correct? And our educational and our occupational choices will look totally different. None of you is going to go to three colleges in four years, and none of you probably are going to have the thing of you went to school and your school shut down, you know? Um, and that's just kind of unusual. And so we're all different. Our occupational and our educational choices are not the same because no two of us are the same. However, our spiritual choices really need to be quite similar if we're going to retrie- achieve real success in our life. I think they need to be quite similar because I want to I tell you today that real success in life is not tied to a career. It's not tied to a paycheck. You know, those things are good and necessary, 
you know, you, got, you have to work. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. Um, so it's not tied to a career. It's not tied to a paycheck. Those are necessary. Real success in life is tied to really knowing and walking with the Lord. Jesus, you say, of course, Pastor, you're going to say that. But li- listen to me today. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you something. I'm not that old, but I'm pushing. You know, I'm four years from 50. Some of you think that's a kid. Some of you kids think I'm ancient. You know, but I've walked a little bit, and, I, and we have this book to look to, God's Word, and it shows us that real life, real success, is not tied to stuff you can hold in your hands. Real success in life is tied to really knowing God and really walking with the Lord. And Jesus makes this point in the Gospel of Luke, and you don't need to turn there right now. Later, go to Luke chapter 12, because that's not our text for today. But it's a great story. In, in, in the Gospel of Luke, he tells the story of a, go- of a greedy rich man. And this greedy rich man had so much stuff, it said, and he's a farmer in this illustration, so much stuff that he had to tear down his old barns. This was his decision. I'm going to tear down my old barns, build bigger barns, and fill those big barns up. And he built bigger barns, and he filled them up. And then he said this. It says he saw, spoke to his soul. And he said, well, soul, um, you made it. He says, we got more than enough for a lot of years. He says, you know, I think we should just eat, drink, and be merry because we've got it all. And he would say this, I've reached success in my life. I have it all. In our vernacular today, we'd say, my 401k is full. You know, I've got all that I need. I'm, I'm, I'm living good. I got money saved. And now I can just move to the lake and listen to the loons for the rest of my life. Isn't that kind of the goal, the, 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 one of the things we put out there, that you really att- arrived in life if you can just sit at the lake and listen to the loons? You know, I'll be going to northern Wisconsin on vacation in a couple weeks, and that's what it's all going to be about for everybody. That's when you arrive. Well, guess what Jesus said about that man? That man looked at his soul and said, well, soul, be satisfied. Jesus said something very interesting to him. He said that man was a fool. He said because that very night his soul would be required of him. He said, you got a great big barn. all full of stuff. But don't you know that tonight you're going to die? And guess what? All those big barns full of stuff don't mean anything. You know, he had it all. But he had nothing. He was rich and wealthy, but it says this about him. He was poor toward God. He didn't have that walk with God. He had it all, success that the world says was important, but he didn't have it all. And graduates and all of us, as you set your course, because that's what you're really doing, you're setting your course, it's kind of like being on a ship in life, and we set our course to go a certain way and accomplish certain things. As you set your course, understand you can attain all things and miss everything in life. And God wants you to have the best. Know this as you're graduating. God wants you to have the best, and that best is Him. And I'm not talking about salvation. It's interesting. Suzanne kind of mentioned that in in this thing she read about there's more. You can get saved. I forget exactly how the book said it, but basically you you can get saved and go to heaven, but you can miss the power. And that's what I felt the Lord wanted me to express today also. And we didn't talk about that in advance express the fact that, that um, God wants you to have the best and that best is Him, but that's not just salvation. And sometimes we think it's coming to Christ, and I know it's odd to say just salvation, because how can you say just salvation? But there's more. There's more to this walk with God. That salvation coming to Jesus is the starting point. That God has riches and depths of life that, that are way beyond just saying, I'm coming to Christ and I give my life to Jesus. You know, A genuine walk with God is real life. A real walk with God where you really know you're connected is everything. 
So to challenge you, set your course to gain the prize that God offers, not the substitutes that the world offers. And it's not so easy to figure out because we live in a world that's constantly saying, here's success, the big car. The matter of fact, I saw a TV commercial a little while ago for some car, and I forget what it was, but it starts off with a little boy sitting on a bed looking at a poster of a red Ferrari. Anybody see this? And he's talking about re, redeveloping what your passion should be, and it's going to talk about a certain car you should get. You know, and says, you've been trained that that's real success if you get the red Ferrari. And the world tells us those things, but I want to tell you something. Set your course to gain the prize that are real, not the substitutes, because Red's Ferraris can crash into bridges, you know, and they're, they're just a scrap pile of scrap metal. And even if they don't, at the end of the day, it's not a big deal. Now, you know, you say, oh, I, I, that's my dream. Oh, okay, it's okay to have stuff. But I'm telling you, stuff is an empty substitute for what God really offers for us. King David understood this. King David, um, he had everything. You know, if you looked at somebody who set his course right, he set it in such a way, even though he didn't know how he was setting his course, he set his course in such a way that he ended up getting everything. He had, he had um, power, he had fame, he had money, um, he had the accolades of people, he had everything, and this is what he said about his everything. And I love this. He says, it's from, from Proverbs 6, or Psalm 16, he says, You will make known to me the path of life. And that's what we're talking about, right? The path of life. To set your course. How do I set my course? This path of life. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The path of life is finding joy in God's presence. That's what he's communicating. He's saying, what's the path of life? The path of life, he isn't saying, isn't riches, isn't, isn't accolades, it's not power, it's not prestige. He says, there's a guy who has it all, and he looks at life, and he says, you will make known to me the path of life, and the path of life is being in your presence and finding pleasure at your right hand. God offers something more, friends, than the world can ever offer us. And as I was thinking about this, Actually, as I was reading my devotions a while back, every, you know, every day, like most of you, I hope you do, you just read through the Bible devotionally. And, and so I'm reading through the Bible devotionally, and I came to a text about a guy, and this was months ago, and I felt the Lord say, I want you to talk about that guy on the graduation Sunday. And it's a guy we want to talk about who, who's going to give us, help us set our course this way, kind of like a King David. Grab your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, kind of near the end of the Old Testament, well, just before all the the uh, prophets, so kind of right in the middle, I should say, of the Old Testament. Second Chronicles chapter 17, I'll give you a minute to get there, and we're going to look at a guy um, named Jehoshaphat. Uh, Who would name their kid Jehoshaphat? Isn't that just mean? You're going to? Okay, you've got to work on another one then, because, no, leaves the end. (laughs) Jehoshaphat. And uh, King Jehoshaphat um, is, he's the king, um, of Judah. And um, what we know about Jehoshaphat is, is that the, the kingdom's been divided. Remember, under Solomon, this great empire arose. King David was king, and it got big, and then his son Solomon takes over, and it gets bigger, and they have this gigantic kingdom called the nation of Israel. And then after Solomon's sons, um, they're, they're, they're not godly. They kind of tear the kingdom in half following their, their reign, and the kingdom's divided into Israel and Judah, and Judah at this time is ruled by Jehoshaphat. And if you read through the books of Kings and Chronicles, what it does is it tells the stories of the different kings. It's basically talking about this guy's a ruler and he's good, this guy's a ruler and he's bad. 
and it talks about the kings of Jerusalem and the kings of, of or the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel. And here you got a king of, Israel, of of Judah in Jehoshaphat, and we find out something as we read in in these um, 17, 18, and 19, and 20 chapters about Jehoshaphat that he was a good king, and there's not a lot of them. And so he's one of the standouts. He's one of the ones that God says, here's the guy that's got it right. He's a king, and he's godly, and he's good. And it says he sought God, and he led the people in serving God. And if you want to kind of get an idea where Jehoshaphat fits, Jehoshaphat is king in the time that Elijah and Elisha are prophets in the land. So as you're reading what happens with Elijah and Elisha, the prophecies they have primarily about Israel, um, and and not so much about Judah, but that, that time frame is when... Um, Jehoshaphat's on the scene. And look with me in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 17, and it says something really simple statement about Jehoshaphat, but when I read this statement, I thought the Lord was saying, this is what I want you to give to the graduates and to everybody to help set their course in life. Verses 3 and 4, this simple statement that serves as an example of how Jehoshaphat lived and how we also then need to live. It says, verse 3, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father David's early days, and uh, there's a sermon in itself looking at how people didn't finish well, and did not seek the Baals, which are false gods, but sought the God of his father, followed his commandments, and did not act as Israel did. So that's what it, the description of his life. How would you like God to put an epitaph on your gravestone? And this is what God said about you that you sought the God of your father, that you followed God's commandments, and you did not act as Israel did. Now, verse 3, we started off reading. He says he followed the example of his father David. Now, is that his biological father? No, because David's way down the line before him, uh, genealogically. Um, his father is Asa, and Asa was a good king, too, and that has something to say about how you can pass a, a lineage down, a, a heritage, a godly heritage down. Um, but he says he was like his father or his ancestor, David, his predecessor. Um, and now everybody knew what that meant. If you said to the people of Israel, you were like your father, David, did that mean you were a good, good king or a bad king? You're a good king. And our kind of way of talking today it would kind of be like saying, you know what, you're a Billy Graham. That's kind of the same kind of thinking. Remember, they knew this was, he was a contemporary of theirs, just you know, a few generations past, and, and they'd say, you're a, you're a Billy Graham. So they're looking at him and saying, this guy was a good guy. He, he was like his, his ancestor, David. And then verse 4, after saying he was like David, explains what he did to live like his father, David. He did three things. He sought the God of his father, so he sought David's God. He followed God's commands, and he did not act as Israel. And graduates and all of us, this gives us a really good guideline to direct us as we set our course to go after God instead of going after the things of the world. And these are just three really simple points, but they're, they're foundational, they're directional. That I think when you're at this, this milestone event in your life where you're graduating, or a milestone, today can be a milestone for any of us. Because we turn over a new leaf or we discover that God wants us to go for, further. And we say, well, what are the foundational things that need to set my course, uh, that I set my course around to make sure that I go in the right direction? Well, these are three things that we can set our course by to make sure that we go in the right direction. And we're going to look at these kind of briefly this morning. The first one is this. He sought the God of his father. Let's start with that. There's more there that you maybe meet the eye, meet your eye. And I think this is the real point that we need to grasp today. There's all kinds of stuff. We could talk about heritage here, which would be a whole study in itself. But here's the, here's the thing that I think God wants us to hear today. It says he sought God. 
What's that mean to you? What it means to me is he put effort into it. Sometimes I think we come to Christ and then we say we're just going to sit in the pew the rest of our life and God, you better do something in my life. I, I got a newsflash for you. It doesn't work that way. You get based on what you go after. You get from God based on what you go after. He put effort into connecting with God. He sought God. He followed after the example, says, of his father, David. And I want to share with you a verse that's one of my favorite verses that talks about the heart of David. In Psalm 63, 1, he says this. This is David writing. It's going to express what David's heart was like. He says, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in the dry and weary land where there is no water. David and Jehoshaphat had passionate pursuits of God. They said, I'm going to put energy into my pursuit of God. And friends, listen, graduates, all of us, there's no other pursuit that really matters in this world. We said earlier, money, pleasure, power, all leave a person feeling empty at the end. And I want to tell you something. I don't believe we really believe this. I don't. I don't believe we really believe it. We'll say it in church, but our actions and activities, and I say, remember what I say when I point a finger? What do I, what's the thing, rule there? Three more pointing back? I'm not being judgmental. I'm just being honest. We don't really believe this. We say, yeah, yeah, the pursuit of God is important. But really, if I just got the house in the lake to listen to the loons, I'd really be happy. I'm telling you something. It doesn't work. No dying person ever said, I just wish I would have spent more time listening to loons. They don't. No one has ever done it. It's never happened. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with loons, but you can't set your course to live on the lake to listen to loons. There's more to life than that. You know, there's a saying that used to go around, you know, he who, um, who, he who gets the most toys wins. Is that how it went? He who gets the most toys wins. But then there was another one that says that he who dies with the most toys still dies. And that's kind of the thought here. He who dies with the most toys still dies. Friends, there is a greater pursuit than the pursu- there is no greater pursuit than the pursuit of God in your life. And understand, it's a lifelong pursuit. And let me let me throw up a red flag to everybody who's been walking with God for a few years. There is a danger in walking with God for a season. There's a danger in knowing the Lord for a long time. And you know what the danger is? That we trade pursuit for passivity. We learn how to do church. We learn how to do this thing we call Christianity. And we just come and we go through the motions and religious activity and religious knowledge because we can just spout it off. You know, we just can say it. Oh, he's going to say this in this sermon. He's probably going to say that next. Guess why? There's nothing new under the sun. You can't recreate stuff a million times. And you just say, I kind of I got it. And that passionate pursuit is replaced by passivity. And we kind of give up on really pursuing God. You know, I got a question for you. Maybe it's more, of, it's more of a statement. I don't believe that any of you came to the spiritual point in your life where you repented of your sins, which is turning away from your sin, and you asked Christ into your life, and many of you it was an emotional experience with weeping and crying and saying, oh, God, get away, and you walked away and you felt lighthearted and free from sin. You had an encounter with God. Not one of you, I believe, ever did that with the intention, the goal, that well, then what I want to do the rest of my life is just sit in the church pew. I don't think any of us ever did that. You had an empty longing that needed to be filled, so you pursued. Remember the story of how, how uh, the fishers got here. 
how you were you had an empty longing and you just went you went to doors you went to church after church after church after church after church and finally said I found my church. It was a passionate pursuit and many of you have stories just like that. You said something else is missing, and you had this passionate pursuit. Ask yourself a question, all of you, me too. When was the last time you felt like David in Psalm 63? When was the last time that you that you looked and you said, God, um, I want to seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in this dry and weary land where there is no water. When was the last time you felt like that? When were you not satisfied with where you're at with God? When have you longed for more of Him? Ask yourself that question. If you can't remember, maybe you need to evaluate what pursuits may be edging out the pursuit of God in your life. And then reset your course. That's why God has milestones in our lives. The milestones are designed to give us an opportunity to evaluate, remember, celebrate, and then evaluate. And as we evaluate, we go, oh man, you know what? I'm a few degrees off here. Not a matter of salvation. It's a matter of getting the most from God. And we go, I've got to reset my course. And if maybe you haven't had that passionate longing saying, God, it's a dry and weary land. I'm just satisfied with all the stuff that's occupying my time. Uh, the loons are really satisfying me, God. Then you need to evaluate and you need to reset your course. Because God's got something more. Jehoshaphat understood that. He was a king. He had it all. But yet he said, you know what? I'm going to pursue God passionately. That's the first thing about Jehoshaphat that we can take from him to help us set our course for success. The second thing is this. It says just very simply, he followed God's commandments. He said he followed his, but it's a capital H, God's. It's not talking about David's commandments. It's talking about God's commandments. He followed God's commandments. And friends, not only did he follow God's commandments... But it tells, if you read seven, chapter 17, 18, 19, and 20, you find out that what he did is he followed God's commandments personally as king, but then he sent his officials and the Levites and the priests throughout all of Judea, all of Judah rather, to teach the law of God to the people. He said, not only am I interested in the word of God myself, but I'm going to, I see the value in this word for my life and the life of my people, so I am going to spread God's word throughout the kingdom. And if you read his story, you find out he went to incredibly great lengths to spread, God, spread God's word so that everybody in the kingdom would learn God's word. And friend, this is something that we need to get from Jehoshaphat. Um, the crucial place of God's word in our lives. You know, um, I think if I took a questionnaire and asked you to fill it out, we would all answer the questionnaire, I agree that following God's word is important. And if you, otherwise, why else would you come here and listen to sermons? I'm not that good looking, you know, to say I want to stare at that guy for, for 30, 40 minutes. I, I, I'm not deluded in that way at all, you know. <laughs> Suzanne, <laughs> you're, you're, the, you're, you're deceived, Suzanne. I appreciate that. If you're going to listen to this podcast, that was my wife who said, yes, you are. Um, you know, thank you, sweetie. You know, why else would we listen to sermons? You know, but I wonder, with all the voices in the world today, and it's a loud world. One of the things I love about Silent Retreat, Pastor Pete, is it shuts off the volume. It just shuts off the volume, and we get to hear the voice of God that really does speak but we never hear because of all the voices in the world today. With all those voices, I wonder if we are really hearing the voice of God from his word as he intended for us. 
You know, friend, God inspired his word by the Holy Spirit through godly people for us. Not to sit on a shelf and, or just have the pastor explain it to you, but for you and I to feast on ourselves. He has gone to incredible lengths to preserve this book for us, the Bible, to preserve it for us. You know, and he gave this word as a guide not just to figure out how to live financially free or how to have a good marriage. That's all in here. But overriding all of that, he gave us this book because it's a guide for us to discover him. That's why he gave it. You know, and I wonder, I just wonder, do we give the word of God the place of importance that we should? Not a place of display in the coffee table and say that means it's important, you know, but no, one that takes a priority in our daily lives. Jesus said something. He said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And if Jesus thought that way about the word of God, what should we think about that? You know, do we see the word of God as this essential nutrition that we need for every single day in our lives? You know, I want you to see the word of God for what it is. It's a supernatural gift of divine wisdom and revelation that God has given to reveal himself to us. And when we read it, we meet with him. And I challenge you this week, graduates and everybody, to sit in a quiet place and open up his word and let him speak to you. And make sure that that word of God, the directional value of the word of God, is helping you set your course at this milestone event. When you're saying, now what's next? That you make sure you just don't say, well, my counselor said My parents said, my friends said, the world said, that's what I should do. But you get, you you get, let God speak to you and you can say this, but God said. And God wants you to be able to say, God said. He wants to give you direction in your life through his word. And I know we're, we're going through these quick, but let's get to the third one that we learned from Jehoshaphat. The third thing that marked Jehoshaphat's spiritual life that we need to take on ourselves beside the, beside the word now is that he did not act as Israel did. And you say, what's that mean? He didn't act like Israel. Some of you might think, well, Israel was God's people, and God's people acted godly. Didn't they do all these great things? Yeah, but at this time, when he refers to Israel, it's not a good, it's not a good reference. It's a, it's Israel of the divided kingdom was the first group to reject God in God's way and go after false gods. And Jehoshaphat is the king. He was a good king. And um, he understood that he wanted to serve the one true God and so he did not act like the people of Israel who had rejected the one true God. And he, he rejected their idol worship. And it says that he removed the high places and the ashram. And what that means, if, if you're unfamiliar with it, is that there were places of idol worship that went on all over Israel. And the, the high places were the hilltops where they literally had idol worship and sacrifices and different things. And the ashram were a place where they, where they, um, they worshipped false gods. They were uh, like trees that were erected. And he said he tore those things down. You know, he did his best to stop the worship of false gods and to promote true worship throughout the land. And I want you to think about something um, this morning related to that. Let's be honest. Let's think of it today. Let's say Jehoshaphat was ruler today, and he couldn't do this in America because we don't have the same governmental structure. What if he came in here today and he said, I want everybody to serve the one true God? And he says, I'm going to do this by, uh, by uh, um, tearing down the, the junk of the country. What would he tear down? We tear down a few TV stations, maybe. Rip out a few cable connections. I don't know what would he tear down. Would he maybe even demolish a few sports stadiums? 
not so sure. I'm not saying I know, but what would he do? He did. He went to the place where there was idol worship going on, and he tore the things down. And let's be honest, as he did that, that had to make an awful lot of people awful angry. A lot of people had to be awful ticked off at him um, because those were their places of worshiping their false gods. And I think the thing we think about, about Jehoshaphat here is that he willingly went against the popular and I would say the progressive way of his culture. He went against the tide of his culture. They're all saying, yeah, we used to worship that God, but you know what, now we've got these other cool ways of doing things. And he went against the culture. Know this, my friends. Being a follower of God necessitates not being a follower of culture. And especially young people, you need to hear me today. Being a follower of God necessitates not being a follower of culture. We make choices every day about whether we will act like the culture and believe its values or we will walk in God's way. And I challenge you to examine why you do what you do. And can I, can I challenge you with just a simple thought about how we think about how we act with our culture? This is what I hear people say, and I used to say it too um, as, as a young person, and I think I probably still say it today at times, and I think we need to change it. You know what we say when we're trying to make a decision about how I should act? And you tell me if this is true. We say this. What's wrong with it? What's wrong with doing that? Anybody ever say that? What's wrong with that? We do. Let's be honest. Why can't I go there? Why shouldn't I do that? Why can't I say that? Why can't I t- to do this or do that? Why can't? What's wrong with it? And that's a typical human way that we respond. What's wrong with it? I'm going to challenge you to look at it a little bit different. And simply ask yourself this question and say, what's right with it? Are you trying to make a decision on what's culturally correct? Just say this, what's right with it? With this decision, is there anything good about it? Is there anything moral about it? Is, there, is it? is it the right thing, the best thing, the correct thing, the moral thing, the godly thing? What is it? And just ask yourself, that simple difference will change, I think, how we relate to our culture. You see, walking with Jesus usually has us walking contrary to our culture. And that's okay. Godly people have been doing this since the time of Jehoshaphat. They've been saying, you know what? He's different. He did not act like the people around him. He acted differently. Now, I am not saying for a moment that we should escape from our culture. And if you know me at all, you know that is not what I'm saying. Because I believe we need to engage our culture. What I am saying is we need to stand tall in the midst of our culture and let them see what a person of God really looks like. And you need to set your course to be a modern-day Jehoshaphat. That's what I think God is saying. Set your course to be a modern-day Jehoshaphat. What did he do? Three things. He sought God, he followed God's commands, and he didn't act like the people around him. Friends, that is a really simple framework to set the direction for our life so that as we know, how do I go? This is how I go so that as I set my course, I'm going in the right direction. Does that make sense?